Good morning. Well, before I start <clears throat> with the preaching of God's word, I have to just share something with you, which I'll burst if I don't. <clears throat> but while we were worshiping this morning, um, our daughter-in-law, Lisa, who live in Africa and is in South Africa at the moment, who will be here next Sunday, just, just completed a 55-mile ultramarathon this morning in 10 hours and 50 minutes. Like, wow. From when we woke up this morning, Karin and I were on an app tracking her as she was running. And I'm like, Lord, protect my heart. I want to worship you. And I also want to know how she's doing. He was faithful. My goodness. This morning, um, the young adults will like this. Uh, preaching Psalm 1. I was, I was asking, if, I was wondering if Pete would want to come uh, recite. <laughs> Years ago, I think this is in 2012, we learned Psalm 1 when uh, Karin and I were with the young adults. We memorized Psalm 1, and uh, Psalm 1 is a special psalm. And um, it's a joy for me this morning to preach from Psalm 1. Um, and so let us dig in and start by reading Psalm 1 together. <clears throat> the heading of Psalm 1 is the way of the righteous and the wicked. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Pray with me. <clears throat> Lord, when we approach your word, your inspired word, like we do every Sunday morning, we come humbly before you to ask for your help. I ask, Lord, that you will help me as I speak of your word, that your spirit will help me to speak accurately, clearly, concisely. And I pray that your spirit will help each one of us to open our minds and open our hearts to hear your word, to respond to your word, and to be changed by your word. Lord, we desperately need you when we approach your word. Reading your word is precious 
but we need you to help us understand it. And so, God, as we approach you this morning and we approach your word, we humbly ask, will you help us that we will understand and be changed by this precious word? It's in your mighty name that we pray, Lord. Amen. Many of you know that a while ago, Karin and I, earlier this year, we moved here to Midlothian. Yes. (laughs) I agree. That day, bunches of people showed up to help us move. And here's the comment that I heard second most. The first comment was, why is every every box going to the third floor? (laughs) The comment I heard second most is, Josh. Why on earth do you have so many fishing poles? And it's like, come on, fishing poles. You have to have many fishing poles. If you're a fisherman, you have many fishing poles. I have many fishing poles because I do different types of fishing. So if I want to do ultralight fishing, I take my little five and a half foot ultralight rod with a small reel, two pound test line with a 164th ounce jig head and a one inch gulp minnow and I can fish all day long and catch many fish that setup will not work when I go to the Chickahominy River and I want to catch big catfish or I go to the beach right so a man has to have it's like somebody I won't say who has many flip-flops they're there are reasons why we have many of these things. And so I, am, I may have that many. It's, I just wanted to clear up. I may have that many fishing poles. The Bible is kind of like that. Yeah, you didn't expect that. I mean, look at the Psalms. Look at the variation that the Bible gives us. Even if we just look in the Psalms. When we need comfort in our distress... We go to Psalm 77 and we cry with the psalmist. I cry aloud to God and he will hear me. Or when we struggle with the gravity of our own sin, we go to Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. It's a great place to go when we feel that. When we desire to worship God, we go to Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. There is a varied grace that we see in the Psalms and all over Scripture But the Bible is not like that in one particular way. And the Bible is very clear about that. And that is this. There is only one way to God. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot use my fishing pole analogy and apply that to to God. You cannot decide this is how I am going to put together my plan to get to God. 
I'm going to use this rod and this reel. I'm going to use all these ways to get to God. It does not work. The Bible is clear. One way to God, faith in his son, Jesus Christ, is the only way. And friends, when we get to Psalm 1 this morning, you will see that that really is the main focus of Psalm 1. The main point that we read in Psalm 1 and that we'll see today is this. It tells us that on this earth there are only two categories, two types of people. The righteous and the wicked. Those are the names that we saw in Psalm 1. And their future here on earth, but more so in eternity... Their futures are vastly different, the righteous and the wicked. Because this psalm says that the righteous will prosper and the wicked will perish. And so as we unpack this psalm this morning, we will look at the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked, the outcome of their lives, And then we'll conclude and say, so what does this mean for us when we approach a psalm like this? I think it's important that we clarify. Sometimes we can get to the Bible, and if we don't clarify a couple of things, we struggle. When the Bible talks about the righteous and the wicked, who who is he talking about? Who is this psalmist talking about? And so when we hear, when you hear me this morning, the righteous and the wicked, who am I talking about? I think a very appropriate um, and helpful scripture in this regard is in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 18. And hear what this says. Then once more you shall see the destruction between, uh, the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. Very simple and clear definition. So when you hear in Psalm 1, and when you hear me speak this morning about the righteous person, don't think in your head it is the perfect, sinless, saint-like person. It's not. It is simply the person who serves God, who follows Jesus Christ. That, according to the Bible, is the righteous person. And when you hear Psalm 1 and when you hear me speak about the wicked person, don't think the mass murderer, serial killer, sitting on death row kind of bad person. The Bible says the wicked person is simply the person who does not serve God. It may be a very kind person, a very fun person to be around. But the wicked person is the person who does not serve God. This is how the Bible defines for us who the righteous and the wicked are. So please, when you hear those words, think the person who serves God, the person who does not serve God. Now, when we get to Psalm 1, we start by looking at the way of the righteous. So the psalmist says something really interesting, really amazing. He makes one point that he says, here's the main thing, how I want to distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who follows God and the one who does not follow God. And look with me in your Bibles in verse 2 is where he has this distinction. He says, 
His delight, the righteous person's delight, is in the law of the Lord. That's the distinction that the psalmist uses between the righteous and the wicked. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He does not say that the righteous is obedient or sinless or is a perfect person living a beautiful life. No, he says that the righteous is the person who delights in the law of the law, of the Lord. And we need to clarify what that means. What is it that the righteous delight in when it says he delights in the law? It is probably different than what comes to our minds when we hear law. When we hear law in terms of Bible, typically what we think are the rules and the commandments and the decrees of God, the thou shalt and thou shalt not. And even though the law that he speaks about here includes that, it speaks of much, much more. It actually speaks of every word that God speaks. The instructions of God, the counsel of God, the promises of God, the guidance of God, the self-revelation of God. And what Psalm 1 says is that the righteous person delights in all the words of God. When God speaks, he delights in God. He's not interested in the counsel of man. He's interested in the counsel of God's word. He's not interested in, a, in an easy life. He's interested in the life crafted for him by God. He does not rely on the promises of man. He relies on the promises of God. And so the righteous is not just obedient to the law of the Lord, but he delights in it. That word delight, church, it, it's the single most captivating word in this entire passage. He delights in the law of the, the Lord. And so we have to ask why. Why does he, why does the righteous delight? Why must we, if we are the righteous, delight in the law of the Lord? Now, first, let's just say, for when the psalm, when this psalm was penned, the law that he referred to was probably the Torah or the Pentateuch, the five, first five books of the Bible. For you and for me, it is the entire Bible, the Word of God as we know it, the Bible at the moment. That is what we are to delight in. And if we ask why should we delight in it, I want to offer just one reason, maybe with one or two subtitles or subclasses under that. But here is why we must Delight in God's word. Main point, because God's word reveals to us who God is. Scripture that you and I have in our hands is not just a compilation of books that tell us exactly how to live, how to make good decisions, and how to overcome sin. It does all those things. But listen, it does so much more. It reveals to us who God is. The Bible that we have reveals to us who the God of the universe is. Now, friends, if, if we understand, if you and I understand the chasm, the unbreachable separation that exists between God and man, 
between a holy God and a sinful man, if we understand that, that we are totally dead in our trespasses and our sins, we are unable to desire God, we are unable to please God, we are unable to know God or understand God or follow God or love God or get to God on our own might because we are separated as sinful human beings from a holy God. If we understand that, then we should delight in the fact that God reveals himself to us through his word. You see, when God, when we read God's word, he not only gives us the words that we read he also gives us the ability to understand it it's an amazing thing that we can read God's word and understand it and that's what we prayed in the beginning will you please help us understand and so here is how God reveals himself we start reading the bible in the in the beginning and we see how God made man how he cared for man, how he put them in the garden and tended to them, but how man turned in rebellion against God, turned away from God, causing this separation between a holy God and a righteous and unrighteous people, and how God ultimately was the one who made a plan And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And what we see is that in this chasm that we cannot breach to get to God, he sent his son to breach that. And when we read his word, we read about the the gospel of Jesus Christ. We read about how Jesus came when sent by the Father. And he came and he gave up his right to be in heaven. And he came and he lived among sinful men. But he lived a perfectly obedient, sinless life. And yet he went to the cross taking on himself your and my sin, paying the penalty for our sins, and in return, what he gave to us is righteousness, which is imputed to us. It's like laying it over us because only the righteous will be blessed. Only the righteous will stand before God as as innocent one day. And the only righteousness that we get is when Christ places his righteousness on us. That is what we read in God's word. That is why we delight in God's word because we read how he saves us, how he made a plan of redemption for us, each one of us. God's word goes on. It does not just tell us that he saves us, 
and how he does that. But God's word also sanctifies us. It means that God's word helps us to rid our lives of sin day by day and helps us to become more like Christ day by day. Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer in John 17. And listen what he says in verse 17. He prays this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. God's word, church, sanctifies us. As Christians, as Christians, we must desire to be sanctified. We must desire to rid ourselves of sin more and more and more. And we must desire to be like Christ more and more and more. And this says that God, through his word, sanctifies us. Church, delighting in God's word will sanctify you. It will rid you of sin, make you more like Christ. Now let me ask you this. Let me ask you if you are a Christian. I'm asking this only of a Christian because if you are not a Christian, a follower of Christ, you cannot delight in God's word yet. If you are a Christian, do you have a growing desire to delight in God's word? Are you growing in God's word in the delight that you have in his word when you read his gospel when you read about his sanctification when you read all of what he does in his word does it stir in you a deeper delight and are you growing in it now i hope there would be many here today that say yes as i study god's word and i read it i grow little by little i grow in my delight of god's word but I want to address those who may be here this morning that says, Josh, I, I love God's word. I know that I need to live according to God's word. And I want to delight in it, but I don't know how to delight in it. It feels like an emotion to me, so how do I delight in it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me say two things that you can do, that you and I can do, two practical things that we can do to grow in our delight of God's word. The first thing we can do is we can pray. We can pray according to Psalm 119 verse 15. Listen to this. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. This is what the psalmist prays. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things of your law. And church, if we pray that prayer, if we honestly pray that, we can trust God that he will show us the wondrous things from his words. And when we see the wondrous things in God's word revealed to us by his spirit, you know what that will do? It will drive your delight in God's word. 
Because you will see him clearer and therefore you will delight in him more. It is the place where we have to start by praying because, let's be clear about this, that without God illuminating his word to us, without God sparking a flame in us to understand his word, the Bible will just be words on a page for us. But when we pray a prayer like this, Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things in your law. And God does that for us. We read the Bible and it makes sense and we see those things. Oh, church, it causes us to delight more in the, in the word of God. So that's the first thing we do. The second thing we do to, del- to grow in our delight of God's word comes from our passage in verse 2. Look with me there again. It says... His delight, the righteous delight, is in the law of the Lord. And then it goes on and it says, And on his law he meditates day and night. Now when we hear meditate, we can easily think Eastern religion meditation or... This is just for oldies. People, my great-grandparents maybe. But church, meditation is one of the most powerful ways... To seek the truth in God's word. To meditate simply means to repeat or to rethink or to go over and over portions of God's scripture. Asking questions of ourselves in our minds about this passage and asking God for revelation about that. Now, meditation usually goes hand in hand with memorizing scripture. It says they do that day and night. We don't have our Bibles with us day and night. We have our minds with us, ourselves day and night. And so when we memorize scripture, we can be anywhere in traffic, at work, at the gym, and we can meditate. We can go over scripture over and over, repeating it to us, ourselves. There's a sense of um, meditating, being murmuring, saying it over and over and over to yourself, asking, what does this mean in the t- context of the Bible? Spirit, help me to understand this. And the main purpose of us doing this is to understand God's word and to see God clearly demonstrated through his word and as we see God in his word clearer and clearer what does that do I guess you can guess this we grow in our delight of his word and so here are the practical things we can pray we can memorize scripture and we can meditate on those scriptures These are practical things. So if your honest answer this morning is, I really want to delight in God's word, here are places that you can start. This is practical places where you can start to delight more in God's word. Now look with me at the results of the life of this righteous man, the the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Starts in verse 1, it says, simply says, he is blessed. Now, there's a lot to be said about that. I'm not going to say much about that. But we'll do this. By show of hands, who does not want to be blessed by the Lord? I thought so. Um, It continues in verse 3, and it says, he, the righteous, is like a tree 
planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. And there's a whole sermon in those few um, verses. But what is obvious for us as we look at this is that the favor and the blessing of God is on the righteous person. He is blessed. It does not say that he is without trouble. Be sure about that. Even when difficulty comes, he will be sustained by the streams of water where he is planted. It speaks of God's provision and care for the righteous in all circumstances. Romans 8 explains this very well to us. Romans 8, starting in verse 35, read with me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What an amazing sentence. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. means we are blessed through him who loved us. Church, you know what this says? It says that the Christian is not free from tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and the sword. But in all those things, we are blessed We are more than conquerors because we are planted by the streams of water. And when the drought comes and the difficult times, we draw up nourishment from the streams, from God. God will sustain and bless the righteous in all circumstances. That is what the life of the righteous look like. Now, when we look at the wicked, we see stark contrast It's actually very plainly stated. It's interesting how simple he states it. Look with me in verse 4. The first five words. The wicked are not so. That's a whole paragraph. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked are not so. They do not delight in the law of the Lord. They do not meditate on it day and night. Why? Because the wicked has no regard for God. They do not seek him. They are not interested in how he reveals himself through scripture. And they are not concerned at all with being made more like Christ. Instead, we see these few things that it says about the wicked and it warns the righteous not to do. When we look at verse 1, it says that the wicked walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, and sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, don't think that that is just a repetition of the same thing. There's actually a progression that the psalmist shows us here in the life of the wicked. There, there's two, at least two progressions. The first is there's a progression from walking to standing 
to sitting, which should show us the danger of sin, and we should guard against it. Walking is not really showing interest. Think of somebody walking through a market, just walking, not showing much interest. But the moment there's something that interests them, what do they do? They stand and start being interested in whatever it is. And then sitting in, in the seat of scoffers talks about participation, commitment. So there's a progression that we see in the wicked's life from not being too interested in sin, then becoming interested, and then becoming committed to sin. There's another progression when it talks about the counsel of the wicked, which is in contrast to the counsel of God, which is what the righteous is looking for. The counsel of the wicked goes to the way of sinners. Again, this is a participation in sin. And eventually that becomes sitting in the seat of scoffers. And this is the exact opposite from what the righteous person does. The righteous person delights in the law of the Lord. The wicked person scoffs the law of the Lord. The righteous person loves God's word. The wicked person ridicules the word of God. There's a really big difference between the wicked and the righteous. And the results of the wicked person's life ultimately sitting in the seat of the scoffers, again is very different than what we saw in the righteous person's life. Verse 4b, look there, it says, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. It's a very vivid picture. Chaff is the husk around the grains. And when a farmer is on the threshing floor and is winnowing the grain, throwing it up, the lightest breeze will take the chaff and just drive it away. Why does he do that? Because the chaff is useless. Wants to separate it from what is useful. The grain is useful. While the righteous is blessed and firmly planted by the streams... And then it says that they produce fruit and leaves. And this speaks of being useful to others also. The wicked is completely different. The wicked is useless. And this picture shows us how God will deal with the wicked quickly and swiftly and easily. Because it is useless. The outcome of the lives of the righteous and the wicked are equally different. We see in verse 6, talking about the righteous, it says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, obviously, this, this does not mean that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but he does not know the way of the wicked. He is God and he knows everything. And so obviously this knowing the way of the righteous must mean something more than being aware of 
their ways. And it is more than that. This knowing, remember Adam knew Eve and she conceived. It speaks of an intimate relational knowledge that God has through which he cares deeply, loves deeply the righteous because they delight in him, because they belong to him, because they are his beloved. And so we see the end of the righteous, the end of those who serve God. We see their end written in Matthew 25 and verse 34. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, who are the righteous, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of this world. Those are the words that every Christian deeply desires and long to hear. That day when we will enter into the joy of spending eternity with our maker and our savior. And then back to the jarring words in verse 4. The wicked are not so. And verse 5. The wicked will not stand in judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The end for the wicked, those who do not serve God, is completely different and pure horror. They will not stand in judgment. They will be destroyed in judgment. They will not be found in the congregation of the righteous. Friend, let no man ever think for a single moment that we can live in opposition to God, loving this world, living for ourselves, despising, scoffing the word of God all our lives, or even faking the Christian life. And because we are good, I've never killed anyone, think that we will be counted with the righteous in the final judgment that you will be in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked will not stand in judgment. Verse 6, the way of the wicked will perish. And we see the end of the wicked again in Matthew 25, this time in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left who are the wicked, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 7 says it this way. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know him, the wicked, and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. How different the outcome of the wicked than the outcome of the righteous person. The conclusion is this. Psalm 1 makes a clear distinction. There are no other categories like many fishing poles. There are righteous men and women. There are wicked men and women. There are men and women who serve God. There are men and women who do not serve God. But hear this, when the psalmists say this in Psalm 1, it is not a bunch of theological information that he is just trying to convey. Every time when we see in the Bible this distinction being made like this, church, this is a call for us. This is the call that says, here is the way, walk in it. And the call here is, be a righteous person, Do not be a wicked person. If you are not righteous, if you do not follow God, you will perish eternally. And so the psalm calls you and me to evaluate our lives and see are we the righteous or are we part of the wicked? And now some may argue and say, well, Paul wrote in Romans 3 verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. So how do you want me to be righteous? And I'll answer from two passages. First, this very, very well-known passage. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says this. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And what this passage is saying is that your righteousness does not come from you. It does not depend on how good your life is. Righteousness comes only through faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did for us on the cross. The only righteousness we will ever have is the imputed that laid upon righteousness that Christ earned for us on the cross. And it becomes us, ours, when we repent of our sins, when we turn away from our sins and not live for those sins anymore, but live for God. And we place our faith in the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. And we live for him. That's the righteousness that we will have. Paul says this in, in almost the same way in Philippians 3 and verse 9. Very clearly, for this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now listen to this. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He's saying, I'm not righteous because of how I live or what I do. But that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
Friends, that's the only righteousness that you and I will ever have that we can stand before God one day as innocent is the righteousness of Christ. And if you have repented of your sins, have turned away from your sins, are following Christ, are delighting in him, and are following him, you are what Psalm 1 is referring to as the the righteous. And you are blessed. Isn't it wonderful news? If you have not done this, if you have not repented of your sins, turned away from your sins, turned towards God to follow him and live for him, I want to warn you, according to Psalm 1, you are in the category of the wicked. And this morning I want to make a strong plea. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you've not repented of your sin, if you've not placed your faith in Christ, not talking about going to church, placing your faith in Christ, ridding yourself of sin, living for God, not just trying to live a good life, If you have not done this, you need to repent. Salvation is available for you this morning. So my plea is this. Please do not leave here today and go in your mind. Yeah, I'll I'll do that. I'll do that at some point. Remember how sin pulls progressively. Do not delay James says that this life is a vapor, and he is correct. This life is but a vapor. And before you know it, this life can be over. Repent of your sins today. Place your trust in God today, and he will give you, impute to you, the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that when you stand before him one day, Before the judgment seat, you'll hear these words. Come, you blessed of the Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Friend, you may have come in here this morning as a wicked, one who does not serve God. You can leave here today as the righteous who will hear those beautiful words when we all stand and we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. And so if you need need to do this, if you need to repent of your sins, if you need to turn away from your sins, if you know he's talking to me this morning, I want to tell you that God is calling on you this morning. And if you know that it is you that he's talking about, please, after we're done here this morning, come talk with me, talk with one of the other, if there are other, some of the leaders who can join me, grab somebody who you know is a Christian in, in here that can help you explain to you what is necessary so that you can repent and become a child of the living God. Friends, this is, this is the message of Psalm 1. There's a lot more there about the blessings, whatever. Psalm 1 is also the gateway 
to all the other psalms. And it is for this reason, if you are not the righteous, the other psalms is dead to you. They're meaningless to you. But if you are the righteous, then the other psalms and the rest of God's word is life and blessing to you. May God give you the grace this morning and the boldness to respond if you need to respond to this word. Let's pray together as the band joins me. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word in Psalm 1. We thank you, Lord, that this is a clear word. There's only righteous and wicked. I pray now, Lord, that each one of us in this room will humbly before you take a minute and ask, Lord, am I the righteous? Have I truly confessed of my sin, turned to Jesus, and am I living for you or not? And then I pray, Lord, for every man and woman here this morning who realizes that they are in the category which Psalm 1 calls the wicked, that they will respond. They will be willing to bow their knees and say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to repent of my sin. I want to follow you. I pray, Spirit, that you will now work in people's hearts. We need to do this. That there will be wicked men and women today who leave righteous men and women. Lord, may your word impact our lives. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.